Welcome to Latte with a Lawyer, a podcast dedicated to bringing you the stories of some of America's most successful lawyers, figuring out what makes them tick, how they creatively solve problems, and how others aspiring to be them can follow in their footsteps. Okay, uh, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Latte with a Lawyer. I'm your host, Jonathan Brickman, and this afternoon we have with us Jeffrey Oster uh, from the law firm Von Bayo. How are you, Jeff? Doing all right. How are you doing, Jonathan? You go by Jeff or Jeffrey? You know what? I go by everything, including hey, you. So whatever you're comfortable with, go with it. Just don't call you late for dinner, right? There we go. There you go. Well, I, I have a brother, uh, Jeffrey, by the way, and he, he goes by Jeff typically. So that'll work. Whatever. Keep it easy. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right. So good, good, good deal. Glad to have you. Um, I know it's the afternoon here, but latte with a lawyer. We got to kick off with uh, what's your morning beverage? Depends on the day. Uh, more days than not, I actually happen to do English breakfast tea. It, it's it's light, um, has a good flavor, but it's not overbearing, and it, it I won't crash to it later down the day. So that's that's generally my go-to. If uh, if I'm on the road and have a whole bunch of driving ahead of me, um, I might actually you know get a, a Starbucks latte of whatever seasonal choice they happen to have at that point in time. So there you go. All right. So you're not a you're not a, a coffee addict like the rest. Not of Not regularly. No. No. Okay. Good. It's probably not a good habit anyway. It's funny. I grew up drinking uh, tea. And then when I had like my first real job, there was only, there was coffee was easier. It was in a pot and I started drinking it. Cool. And, th and that got me uh, hooked on drinking coffee. Yeah. And I'm sure it got you hooked on uh, some type of uh, arrhythmia in your heart as well. I, I know some <laughs> people where, you know, they have their first morning coffee, their second morning coffee, their afternoon coffee, their before bed coffee. Um, never. It's never going to be me, but to each their own, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably not a great thing. I don't have it in the afternoon, but during, in those days when I was in an office, I mean, it was like nonstop drinking coffee. It was, it's I'm lucky where I never had that. Yeah, I sleep pretty well. Um, try to work out regularly, so I have a good amount of energy throughout the day. If I don't yeah. need to rely on, on caffeine, no point to do so. Yeah, I, I agree. Good stuff. All right. So, all right. So now pivoting to uh, work, uh, let's talk about your law practice and what kind of law you practice. I do quite a bit of things. The primary things that I do are general liability litigation. Um, that's uh, if a company or an individual is being sued, I will go ahead and defend them. Um, and that's everything from trucking litigation, slips and falls, uh, sexual assault, um, anything under the, under, under the mill where um, there's a need for someone to sue and someone to be defended in that lawsuit. I do certain commercial litigation, some real estate litigation. Um, don't really do much criminal unless it's something that is, is associated with a civil lawsuit, such as it's a fatality uh, in, in one of the, the casualty events I'm handling. Uh, some of the sexual assault cases obviously have a criminal element to them. Um, but there is some plaintiff's work we will do on occasion if it's the right case. But generally what we do is um, civil defense litigation. Okay, and you're you're on the defense side exclusively. Uh, I mean, a good, the clear majority of it is is me on the defense side, absolutely. Okay, and the whole firm is that? What are the practices of the firm? So we actually do quite a few things. We we have everything from our general liability group. Uh, we have specific uh, practices such as employment law. We have a municipal law division. Um, we do a lot of gig economy work, and that's uh, everything from. Um, you know, you have your food delivery services to your, um, you know, personal transportation services. Um, uh, workers' compensation is one of our largest practice groups. 
Okay. But uh, we do we do quite a few things. Um, um, and if it's something we haven't done before, we're always willing to take on a challenge. Okay. And again, mo the firm mostly on the defense side, or you do plan of work too for the like the gig economy stuff. Most most of what we'll do is stuff on the defense side. There, there are certain things that we do for particular institutional clients where we have more of a general counsel type practice where we do a little bit of everything. Okay. But most most of what we do is is defense side, and we have offices throughout the East Coast. From I think we have four offices in New York. We have two offices down in Florida, and and almost everywhere in between. Oh, you do. Okay. How big is the firm? How many lawyers? Uh, Lawyer-wise, um, we recently acquired a group um, in New Jersey. I think now we're probably uh, in the upper 40s. Okay, so good size. And still planning to grow? Still planning on growing. We're doing it strategically. Um, we're a relatively new firm. We've only been around um, since uh, June of 2020. Oh, okay. Uh, so we've had quite some success since then. Uh, but it's a powerhouse group of attorneys very proud to be a, a member of of the partnership and uh we're certainly we're certainly going places and and in the right direction good what was the genesis for starting the firm well it was um it was a need through our managing partner joe vaughn um finding a let's let's be honest i said june 2020 and we all know what happened in in march to april 2020. sure sure um a lot of things were a lot of business was shutting down um, a lot of clients, you know, pretty much uh, throughout the region, especially with defense work, we represented certain um, commercial entities. There was no income coming in. So um, um, our manager partner found a need to strike when the iron was hot. And he started recruiting groups of attorneys from various law firms, put together a powerhouse group um, and was marketing throughout the pandemic, was growing throughout the pandemic, was getting good results throughout the pandemic. When a lot of people were batting down the hatches, weren't going anywhere, weren't doing much, um, we felt the need to go forward instead of staying stagnant. And that's uh, proved us well during the pandemic. And now that we're coming out of it, um, we've certainly been growing in terms of uh, size, location, and, and revenue. It's, it's, been a, it's been a fantastic ride so far. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, well, you had to practice in states that allow you to, to practice right during the, those times. So you mentioned Florida. That was one of them. Florida was one of them. We Florida was a, a recent acquisition, so we're we're only recently down there. Um, okay. uh, but we we've essentially always been New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware. Um, we recently did Maryland. Uh, we have some West Virginia work as well. Um, but some states are still. I'm not a fan of it, but a lot of states are still doing things virtually. I'd much rather do stuff in person. Um, that being said, there is of course a financial benefit to having virtual appearances over live appearances when it comes to our legal bills and we certainly want to be as efficient for our clients as we can so uh, it's a blessing and a curse uh, i'm just glad that we're able to to do what we need to do again um to actually litigate uh cases aren't stayed we're very active in our caseload and um uh, i hope that things can open up a little bit more i think that'll be good for for everyone and um i definitely have a, a I think the future is going to be very bright for us as litigators. Oh, good. Now, I see in your uh, biography, you're known for being an aggressive litigator. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, you know, there, there's some attorneys out there where they, they get a, they get a case and they handle it vanilla, get another case, handle it vanilla, get another case, handle it vanilla. And it's just, you know, let's turn them and burn them on to the next one. I like getting into my cases and I like uh, paying attention to detail. I like going after the other side and calling them out on their BS when it's appropriate to do so. 
I'm not a cookie cutter attorney. I, I am specifically hired by certain clients to be aggressive when the case calls for it. If the scent of BS is in the air, they want me to sniff it out, figure out where it's coming from and go ahead and, and clean that up. Um, I tend to take my time with depositions. I certainly have some discovery that is a little more detail oriented than others. And if the answers aren't appropriate under the circumstances, I don't mind reaching out to the court to make sure that the answers that are provided are the answers um, that are needed for that particular matter. Um, being aggressive, being detail oriented and truly getting into a case does tend to get much better results for my clients and they appreciate that. And that's why they keep coming back. Got it. Uh, where's that come from? What's your background? Like, where did you get that sort of approach? I've, I've just always, I've always been there. And, and then I was curious as to why a lot of attorneys don't do the same thing. Yeah. There, there are so many attorneys where it's just, okay, let's send out form discovery. Okay. They answered. They don't really look at the answers. If they're only partially answered, they accept and say, well, we'll just clean that up during a deposition. No, I, I want to go into the deposition already knowing what the answer is, especially so I can go ahead and potentially use that answer against them. Um, uh, you know, my, my reporting to clients is very detail oriented to make sure that my clients are on the same page as I am in terms of defense strategy. Um, and, you know, communication is something that I understand is lacking with a lot of attorneys and their respective clients. I, I think that's truly important. Um, one of the models that our firm has is we're always there for you. Um, our self, personal cell phone numbers are, are in our signature lines, and that's because we want to be accessible to our clients. Um, so when it comes to client satisfaction, doing a good job, um, I try to do that with every client, every case. And um, that's why, again, there, there's certain clients that, that seek me out specifically to hopefully get a good result, especially in some of the harder cases um, where liability is, is either questionable or absolutely certain. Yeah, give, give me an example of one of those tough cases where it was questionable and you prevailed. Um, well, there have been quite a few. And, and prevailing is how you perceive in a particular case. You know, okay, so let's leave that out. Yeah, leave the leave that part out then. Just give me an example of a of a tough case. Um let's see here. Uh let's say there's a slip and fall on walking up to a supermarket. Uh and, and someone claims that they slipped and fell on you know, your average supermarket, they have the patio area and they have stuff that they sell outside. Um, you know, someone I guess stepped onto the patio area of the entranceway to the supermarket and claimed that they slipped and fell on like a plastic sign that says how much something has cost, whether it was you know, umbrellas or something. Um, and that's what made them fall. Um, you know, it was, it was an interesting case because she had a picture of the thing that she fell on. She clearly fell. There was, you know, reports. She decided to break the fall with her face. Like it was, it was a bad, bad, bad incident in terms of damages. Mm. Um, but through, um, not just relying on witness statements and actually going to the scene and actually um, trying to visit the scene at the same time of day as the accident occurred in locating video that you didn't even know captured the scene because you were at the scene looking around and said, hey, there's a camera. Let's see if we have any footage there. We're actually able to go ahead and um, determine without a doubt that this lady actually just tripped walking onto the curb and didn't fall on anything on the actual sidewalk. Uh. So, I mean, the, the demand was several hundred thousand dollars. Again, she broke her fall with her face. Uh, there were fractures. You know, she had uh, Yeah, no denying. There were damages. There really were. But when it came to um, showing the attorney what really happened that day, 
um, there was a very prompt change in tone, and he basically uh, put his tail between his legs and said, can we just uh, withdraw this and you don't come after us for any type of fraud, we'll call it. Oh, so there were no damages? Well, there were damages. We just didn't pay out on them. That's what I mean. You, you didn't right. have to pay out on them. We didn't have to because they, they realized their client was completely full of crap. Um, we had just had to show them the light of day, and you don't always get that opportunity to do so. Um, but um, that's one where I would say it was a success. Yeah, I would say so for sure. So that's interesting. Does that mean the plaintiff attorney did not have access to that same video, or they just didn't present that? Well, um, they they didn't have access to it, and they also had a different impression as to what it showed, even when they were they they did show it. I literally had to break down frame by frame. Um, I cut little snippets with my computer and I took, you know, Microsoft Paint and I drew lines as to where the curb was and, you know, the angle of the fall and where where the thing was that she claimed she slipped on. Um, it took some effort. Sure. But it was well worth it and, and it, it saved the client uh, a tremendous amount of money, uh, both in defense costs as well as what they very well could have been having to pay out if we didn't take the aggressive approach that we did. Interesting. Now, we, I mean, I know there are, there's lots of... Uh technology out there where you can recreate the scene and show it. Do you ever use those kind of services? We absolutely do. Um, we use those primarily in the catastrophic injury and the death cases. Um, we use those quite often in trucking litigation. I have yep. a lot of uh, talented experts, civil engineers, accident reconstructionists, and it's amazing this technology that they can use um, to not only create the accident scene itself, the approach to the accident scene, uh, the use of drones, uh, to get footage above the accident scene can really create amazing 3D technology uh, using oh, yeah. CGI to to have an event occur what appears to be in real time right in front of your eyes. Um, with recent technology, even when it comes to uh, preserving uh, motor vehicles involved in bad accidents, there's even an, an app in the, I think it's the uh, iPhone 13 Plus has something where you can get amazing technology where you used to have to set up these giant lasers just scan from different angles and you can literally take your iPhone and just put it along the vehicle and it just picks it right up immediately. Um, technology is amazing. It is expensive though. Um, so you pick and choose when you want to do that. But if there's a loss where you're anticipating litigation and there's really bad damages, deaths, multiple central plaintiffs, sure. it's worth the investment early so that hopefully you don't have to pay so much uh, at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're trying to, I mean, you have to make the case, right? So if you have to spend some money to get there, you have to make that decision. You know, it's, it's worth it, right? It usually is. And it really depends on um, the type of loss. Um, even if sometimes there's a potential for litigation, it's worth having that initial expense. I mean, it's it's usually anywhere between four and $6,000 initially. Um, but when you're looking at a case where the damages are potentially going to be seven or eight figures, um, getting getting a foot up on your defense, hopefully before the, the, the injured, injured uh, individual or their estate has even hired an attorney. Yeah. Um, it's always good to be ahead of the game and have good partners in your corner, such as a lot of the experts that we, we utilize on a regular basis. Yeah, how do you make that decision? I mean, if you think you need you know, to run a mock trial or a focus group or something, and you think it's gonna help you get to the uh, you know, evidence that you need, how do you get that? I mean, do you have to get your client's approval to incur that expense? You, you absolutely do. Uh, mock trials are not cheap. Um, and it depends on on how you want to handle it. Sometimes you can do more than one mock trial with different juries. 
sometimes you can do one mock trial with different juries in, in different rooms, uh, all watching at the same time. Beyond that, uh, mock trial, it's more than one attorney handling it. You usually have two or three, maybe even four attorneys in your firm, depending on the amount of co-defendants, the amount of plaintiffs in the case. Um, so in addition to just having my time, it's the time of my colleagues. It's the time of the vendor who is running the mock trial. Um, we might need to bring in certain independent witnesses to give mock testimony. Uh, we might need to have experts testify to see how people read the experts or the expert's opinion. The expert time is expensive. Mock trials are tens of thousands of dollars. So you absolutely need your client's um, authority to do so. You need to give them a budget and um, you need to be able to clearly tell them the potential benefits of doing it. So um, you don't do those in the smaller cases, but in some of the bigger cases, or if it's a, you know, a smaller company where it's a bet the company type of case where the company's going to have to shut down, lay everyone off if, if it's a bad verdict. Those are the ones you might want to go ahead and uh, spend a little bit more, more money to see if it's one where we truly should take it to trial or if we should try a little harder to resolve it. Got it. But you have to make that business case. What's that process like? I mean, how hard is it to, I mean, you believe I need this to, in order to put myself in the best position. How tough is, what's that process like to make that case to the uh, client? It depends. I have, I have a lot of clients that are self-insured. So um, it depends if the damages are those where you have to reach out to insurance money, if it's all dollar for dollar within the company. Yeah. Um, it depends on the actual insurance company. There's a lot of reporting involved, a lot of round tables, a lot of discussions, and it's not a conversation that's that's taken lightly. It's usually a conversation they have time over and over and over again prior to trial. Um, it's one where some people don't believe it's necessary until they say, well, Jeff, if you think it is, we will defer to you. And then once we go through that process and they see what happened, the results that they get, um, I've never heard a client say this was a complete waste of time and money. Yeah. They all appreciate it when we make that recommendation, but it's not a recommendation that we have to recommend often. Um, and that's usually the, the larger cases, uh, but we do handle those. And when we do need to do a mock trial, um, I treat it just like a real trial. And um, it's interesting seeing jurors' reactions. Jurors are unpredictable uh, in, in mock trials and in real trials. But in mock trial, at least you can gauge what they picked up on, what they didn't pick up on, uh, what we should try to um, pinpoint a little bit more if there is a certain factor that we should stick away from because they felt it was a bad fact or something that was um, determinative of something we didn't want it to be. We'll go ahead and do that. It's nice almost getting a preview of what you are hopeful a real jury is going to pick up on at the end of the day. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Okay, good. Uh, well, well, enough of that, but that that's I'm just curious more about the pro. I know on the plaintiff side, it's easier to get funds to do those kind of things. And it seems to be tougher on the defense side. It, it is, you know, there, there's some plaintiff's firms out there where they literally have a mock courtroom in their actual law office. And yes. they do a mock trial for absolutely everything. Um, but, you know, they're, they're paid on a contingency basis. So they're sometimes they're going to do stuff because if they don't hit, they walk away with nothing. And in those big cases, they're investing lots of money in experts and, and possible um, you know, technology yes. costs. And, and they want to make sure that they can recover. Um, with the defense side, it's a little bit less common that we'd have to do a mock trial. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But again, it's, it's not, it's not our firm's money. It's the client's money. It's going to pay for it. So we want to make sure that when we do that, it's a wise decision uh, when we make that recommendation. Got it. So how'd you get on the defense side as opposed to the plaintiff side? How'd you make that decision? Well, um, I kind of, I kind of fell into it. Um, I was in law school and, um, summertime was coming around and, uh, 
some of my classmates said, Hey, what do you, what, what clerkship do you have over the summer? I was like, I don't know. What's, what's, what's a clerkship? Is that like a court thing? <laughs> like, no, it's like, you know, you get a, you get a, a job where it looks good on your resume and then hopefully, uh, you know, they might make you an offer or, you know, at least give you an experience to help you get a job down the road. So it's like, oh, that's, that's interesting. So uh, this was in the early 2000s, I think. Uh, I don't know. I probably looked at a, an actual physical newspaper uh, to see who was hiring, or maybe it was uh, uh, an early career builder moment. One of those, uh, those early um, classified ad uh, things. And I saw that there was a law firm that was hiring, which wasn't too far from my house. And um, it happened to be house counsel position for Liberty Mutual, um, where they handled all of Delaware's legal work, obviously from the defense side because they're an insurance company. And um, I had a classmate, and I was told him about that. He's like, oh, well, my dad works for their, you know, Philadelphia office, wherever it was. Um, and he was telling me about some things that he did, which I found interesting. So I went on the interview, uh, got the position, and um, essentially been doing defense work ever since. So it wasn't it wasn't that I was seeking it out. So I kind of fell into it, and I, I happened to like it. Got it, got it. And so, oh, I see you went to Delaware. You went to uh, Delaware for undergrad and grad grad school, law school. Well, it, yes and no. I went to the University of Delaware, go Blue Hens for undergrad. And Hens, at yeah. the time that I went to law school, it was called Widener University School of Law. It has since changed its name to um, Delaware Law School. They also have a campus. Um, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, called Commonwealth Law School. So it's a different university. Oh, it, uh, okay, okay. Where is it? University. Where is it located? It's located in uh, in uh, Wilmington, Delaware. Oh, Wilmington. Okay, so outside yeah. of Philly. Outside, of, it's uh, like thirty minutes outside of the city. It's not far. Yeah, home. yeah, right. And so you said you go into the city. Where do you do? You, where do you live now? I do. I do live in Northern Delaware. I live right off I ninety five, so it's a straight shot um, up the interstate to, to Philadelphia. And uh, our office is in the, the Logan Square area of town. It's it's, it's really nice, it's center city, but it's um, um, it's it's great places to eat around there. Uh, a lot of vibrancy to the city where we are, and um, really nice facility. So happy to be in that area. Yeah, yeah. No, Philly's a good place. In fact, I, I just came back from my son's at the Drexel. You know, there you go. So yeah, I, I've gotten to know uh, Philadelphia pretty well. Yeah, and I know Philadelphia attorneys have a certain connotation to them as being aggressive but um well, I, I know the hockey fans are and the football fans well are. i mean yeah we can't <laughs> we, we've, we've thrown um batteries and snowballs at santa so yeah. um we'll see we'll see what happens with the cowboys game tomorrow um but uh yeah we're, we're solid sports fans and we were really hoping for a phillies world series win uh because we could actually see the parade from our office window so with the eagles at 13 and 1 currently we're hoping they can continue to uh go down that route if you're in town, Jonathan, feel free to stop by our office. We can watch it together. <laughs> well, I'm a Bostonian, so I was a Patriots fan. Tom Brady moved to uh, Tampa Bay. I live in South Florida now, so. Are you? Are you? You live in South Florida? I, yeah, I live in Delray Beach, so I'm okay. now a I'm now a Buccaneers fan because Tom Brady's there. Although I think this might be his last year. Well, we've heard that before, haven't we? <laughs> well, based on I mean, but every other year he's had great performance. This year he, he lost his wife, and he's having a terrible year. Yeah, well, uh, he's definitely he's definitely one of the greatest of all times. But right now, he I think it's I think it's time for him to bow out and and uh, pay some attention to himself on a personal level. Yeah, I think I think you might be right about that for sure. Um, I'll look you up if I'm ever in Delray, though. You know, always okay. nice to have someone down there. Yeah, it's it, it, this time of year is nice. It's even going to get a little chilly here, like in the low 40s in the morning with this uh, big front that's moving through. 
it's uh it's going down to nine tonight uh with a wind chill i believe of negative one so i will take 40 degrees if you could hear the wind whipping outside right now um 40 40 sounds quite nice yeah yeah no it, it i mean we're i'm spoiled it's uh it's typically 80 degrees pretty much year round so it's uh it's good well, I, I, go, I have plenty of uh, plenty of clients down in the Tampa, Sarasota, Bradenton area. Uh, never mind going to, to visit them, hoping to do so in the next couple months. Um, um, I wouldn't mind living down there year round. I'll put it that way. Well, there you go. There's plenty of lawyers here. Trust me. Come on down. Have you ever, ever thought about going on the, uh, the plaintiff side? I have some colleagues. I have some personal friends that do plaintiff's work, and they do very well. Um, and I, I do understand that there is a need for plaintiff's attorneys, uh, very, very much need. There are, there are some which are complete innocent victims in cases in which they do need assistance in getting what they need to make a full, complete recovery or to otherwise be able to live out uh, their lives in, in a fruitful way. Yeah. Um, I have considered it, um, but I'm doing well where I am right now, and I'm with a great law firm, and um, if it is a you know a really good plaintiff's case, we will consider taking it on. But it it, it is something that we, as a firm, um, consider deeply because it's not necessarily the 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 route that we tend to go. Um, but doing plaintiffs work full time, um, I enjoy doing what I'm doing too much right now to really okay. make that jump. And um, I have great clients, uh, great colleagues, and I, and I see no need to really seriously consider that uh at this point in my career. yeah yeah now, I, I don't want to put you on the spot i'm just curious like thinking like even within your firm like because there's a difference right being on on i call it offense versus defense sure. it's, it's just a different approach to the case it's a different approach um it's also different economics you know we we generally charge by the hour whereas as they generally only make a, a recovery if, if they win if they right. don't win they, they make nothing so right. every case is a gamble um um there are certain firms out there which you respect more than others when it comes to plaintiffs' firms, um, and, and I think it's a little bit different with defense firms. I think defense firms you, you need to respect them. Um, um, but I, I I absolutely have some great friends that do plaintiffs' work, and I appreciate what they do, and they work their, their they work their butts off. Um, but they exist for a reason, as do I. Got it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I've asked a question often because I'm always curious because if there's a certain personality type or I mean, maybe it was just luck because it was your first job. But I always try to figure out, like, why is someone on the plaintiff side versus defense side? And usually there's a reason for it. It kind of it just fits better with the person. Sometimes it fits better. A lot of times I've noticed certain plaintiff's firms, um, there's a certain um, lineage that goes with it. It's, well, my dad was a plaintiff's attorney. And I'm going to join his firm, and or you know, it, it was his firm. There's a lot of family firms that do plaintiff's work, so it's yes, just it's being part of the family, like like any small business can be. Um, There's some people like like with me, um, they fell into it. Um, a lot of plaintiff's firms are hiring hiring pretty regularly. It's not an easy job, um, and there's a lot of recruiters out there that are, are always uh, recruiting for for plaintiff's firms. Um, but you know, this is talking about personal litigation. Uh, work and there's a lot of areas of law out there beyond just personal injury litigation oh yeah uh, but it's um i respect most of them and being that i'm more of an aggressive defense attorney um there's a certain collegial factor that grows 
through the lifestyle of a case in which you can really figure out if your um, uh, your opponent is one to be respected or run over. I guess we'll put it that way. And the clear majority of litigators out there on plaintiff's side are, are fantastic to work with, uh, which is great. Uh, I really, um, I really like the cases that I have. Most of the, the people that I go against are just really trying to do their best um, for their clients. Not all of them. Some of them are just going on a power trip and I don't understand it because they're just making their lives smarter at the end of the day. Um, but why do most people get into plaintiff's work? I think, I think part of it is just luck of the draw, kind of like where I was. I don't think anyone wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I want to do plaintiff's work. Um, but I don't know. I've never been in that position. I'm just speculating. Yeah. Okay. Why, why did you decide to become a lawyer in the first place? I, I, well, I never saw myself doing it. I was, uh, University of Delaware. I was political science major. I had a concentration in politics and journalism. And I think I was a few credits shy of having, um, a minor in microeconomics. Um, that being said, political science, I didn't have any, made any political connections, um, never really worked on any campaign. So once I got my beautiful Bachelor of Arts degree, the only places that were calling me back were um, uh, credit card companies. I, I, I was in Delaware, all the major right. banks, sure. credit card companies are here and like, hey, you know, come make collection calls for us. Um, we'll pay you a good amount of money. I was like, well, that doesn't sound ideal. Uh, and then there was, um, you know, people uh, like life insurance brokers saying, hey, join our brokerage and ask all your families and friends to buy life insurance and blah, blah, blah. Nothing really that was satisfying. Right. Um, but I've always worked two or two or three jobs at a time. And I had a couple of jobs at that point, waiting tables, uh, pretty social guy. And a lot of my customers would always say, so what are you doing after college? And I'm like, I don't know, or um, to be determined, things like that. And they say, well, have you ever considered law school? You seem pretty smart. You're pretty good at talking to people. You should give it a shot. And I hadn't. Um, but then I started looking into a little bit more, um, talked to some people that were in law school and a couple of lawyer friends that my family had. And um, another, nothing else going on. So I figured, heck, let's, uh, let's give it a shot. And, and why the university at the time um, it did have a night program available, which was rather relatively uh, rare at that time. Uh, so I could still work throughout the day to help pay for law school while I was, while I was going. So that's how it worked out. Good. So you're a hardworking guy. Is that what, what's your background? What is my background? Well, yeah. it has nothing to do with the law. I'll put it that way. Um, I come from a long line of psychologists. Um, dad was a psychologist, clinical psychologist. His dad was a psychologist. His dad was a psychologist. I got a C in psychology. So let's go. Well, <laughs> doesn't look like I'm following suit. Um, but um, I, I've always my parents instilled with me just just working hard trying to get good results um really stressed busting my butt in, in school and i did my best I was, I was on a roll throughout um never necessarily top of the class but i i, I definitely tried and um as a father myself now i'm, I'm trying to implement those same um kind of values in, in my kids it's it's not easy yeah um but um there's nothing wrong with hard work and hard work tends to pay off in, in better results Yes, I agree. Totally agree with that. There's no easy path, really. I mean, you got to work for it. You do have to work for it. Um, yeah. And there's something satisfying about doing so. Like, even when it comes to, to uh, house projects, you know, I, I painted that wall. It took me four hours, such a large wall and taping everything up and sanding and, and you know, spackling as needed. But at the end of the day, you busted your butt and I can say I did that and appreciate it every time you look at it. 
Yeah. Oh, good. You sound like me. I love doing those projects. It's, that's it's rewarding, right? You, you feel a it sense is. of accomplishment. It is. Yeah. You know, I wish I wish I had the means to just hire someone to do it. I'll be honest. I really do. Um, <laughs> but there is something satisfying about um, doing something yourself. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, good stuff. So what would you tell somebody uh, now who is thinking about becoming a lawyer? What would your advice be? My main concern is the cost of law school, cost of higher education in general. Yes. Um, I am very worried as to what it's going to cost when my kids are of college age. Um, and I will tell them, you know, why do you want to go to law school? What do you want to get out of it? Because you're not only making a time commitment, you are making a financial commitment. And, and most law school students don't have parents that can pay for law school. So unfortunately, they have to go into debt and sometimes deep debt, as in uh, six figures of debt, easily, sometimes multiples of six figures. So depending on what they say, I'll kind of gauge, um, well, what do you want to do with that law degree? Um, you know, just saying you're a lawyer doesn't pay the bills. How do you want to monetize that and support your family down the road? Um, so I've had conversations with certain people um, where they have certain interests in life. And I tell them, well, it's never too late to go to law school. Maybe you should pursue those other interests first to see if you still want to go to law school down the road. Um, I went to law school with a few uh, police officers where they put in their 20 years. They got out and they went to law school then. Um, and they're fantastic prosecutors and criminal defense attorneys right now. Um, but they pursued what they wanted to pursue first and went to law school down the road. But it's really, you need to have a solid reason to go to law school nowadays. Um, just because having that debt hang over your head for the next decade is something that can impact your lifestyle in, in amazing ways. You, you'll see all your friends going on vacation and having multiple kids because they can afford it. Meanwhile, you're sitting here thinking, man, I hope I can get a new car in the next eight years because I really need one. Um, there's a lot of jobs out there, especially government jobs where they don't pay too well. Um, they're super important jobs. Um, but it's almost like um, you need to have a spouse helping you pay the household bills um, to truly live a fruitful life. Um, the law profession is one of the oldest professions in the world. And it's not going anywhere. And it's some of the smartest people that are part of this industry. Um, some of the hardest people that, that, are, that are in the world are in this industry. Um, but if you truly want to become a lawyer and you think it's gonna, you can make a difference in the world in doing so, I say absolutely go for it. But I just hope that you, your eyes are open as to what it is that you're gonna be incurring because if you're just relying on law schools to tell you why you should go to law school, it's all a marketing play. You know, look beyond what the law school's marketing team is telling you. And um, if you still think it's right for you, go for it, but go all in. You can't go in and half-ass and get bad grades because you're not going to get a job. And the last thing you want is to not be able to get a job as a lawyer and still have your uh, law school student loans have to pay back. That's a bad combination. It, it is. It is. <laughs> um, and, you know, there, there, a decade ago or so, there was some U.S. Uh, News and World Report litigation going on because... Um, there were certain rankings of law schools and, and people were relying on those rankings. And then it turned out that those rankings were based off of uh, marketing materials that weren't exactly accurate. And so when people couldn't get jobs and they really said, well, the law school said I would do this, that um, you really need to do some soul searching, talk to a lot of people and, and see if it is route that, that you want to go that you want to go on. And, and again, it's not something that you need to do immediately after college. You can do other things to go to law school down the road. It's three years out of your life. Um, and then, you know, there's the, there's the tests, which are, they're not a good time, but you also need to essentially pass that bar exam. So, um, it's dedication, 
Um, it's a lot of misery, but I can tell you it's a lot of amazing experiencing experiences once you're an actual litigator down the road. Good stuff. All right, well, good. Well, listen, um, just final uh, thoughts about your firm, what you want to share with the audience and the best uh, way to connect with you. You know, I have a unique, I have a unique experience, I think, with my firm. I work with a firm um, where everyone just wants to see everyone do well. There's a lot of law firms out there where it's dog-eat-dog. Um, everyone is just um, competing against each other. And my firm is fantastic because we, we all truly want to see everyone do well, whether it's, it's within our practice group, outside of our practice group, uh, within our different offices. It's, it's, a, um, it's one of the facets that I, our founding partner really wanted to have in a law firm. It's, it's something that really wasn't out there. And, and I have a much better um, atmosphere in terms of law firm life than a lot of my colleagues do. And I, and I completely recognize and appreciate that. So um, I'm happy to say as, as a lawyer, um, I'm pretty content with where I am professionally and um, definitely hope to stay there. It's been, it's been a good ride so far in the past uh, uh, two and a half years and, and we're still going places. And uh, I don't see that stopping anytime in the near future. So. Good. Well, good. I like the enthusiasm. Keep it up. Appreciate you having me on. And, um, you know, I've seen quite a few of these podcasts and keep them going. And uh, I'll continue to watch. Excellent. I appreciate that. Well, listen, for everybody, again, uh, it's Jeffrey Oster with the uh, law firm of uh, Von Bayo. And this is um, sponsored by Emotion Track, which is a legal tech platform that helps litigators like yourself um, with our platform that allows you to get mock, mock jury insights, but with a digital platform that people use for uh, prepare for trials and mediations. So thanks again. I will let you go. Enjoy the uh, holiday weekend. All right, Jonathan, you too. Take it easy. Okay.